You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and all of our shows can be heard live exclusively on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, SNH Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's start by asking you to share a little bit about your professional background. What did you do in your career that got you to this point as CEO of your own firm? I um, started young. Uh, at the age of 13, I uh, walked into a computer store in Canada that uh, convinced them that they needed somebody to um, deliver the mail because there was a postal strike. From there, within six weeks, I had a business card that said Junior Systems Consultant, sold apples and CPM systems. CPM. And, yeah. CPM 86, wasn't CPM it? CPM 86. I'd exactly. love that. Okay. So from there, uh, helped co-found a branch of a hardware software distribution company after university, and then with my best friend started a software company. Um, is this all in Canada? This so? is all in Canada, yeah. And when we had that software company, we were, we were signing custom software development deals for large uh, multi-million dollar deals like with the, uh, to the equivalent of uh, Southern California Edison companies. And How old we had, were you? Uh, mid-twenties. Okay. So we were having a great time. And then um, at one point, somebody came up and said, hey, we'd love to get rid of pre-printed forms. So we said, huh, that's something we can do. So we developed a prototype, and the guy came back and says, I'd like to have 100 units of these. And we went, hmm, there might be some business in this. Right. So we got families and friends to uh, invest, and we, we changed from being a software development company to a software vendor. And uh, we started selling the software, and then company in the United States got interested in us, and uh, so we sold our business to a U.S. company, and I moved to the United States and helped grow that company. What year was that? That was 1994. Okay. And then 94 for 10 years, I helped uh, that firm grow into the healthcare marketplace, and then internationally, and then we, we uh, the owner decided, hey, we want to set up a European operation. Let's buy the... Uh, French company, and my wife and I moved to Paris and had a great time. Really? Yeah, Paris. So we, uh, we went there, and we basically um, I ran the operations there and helped it grow. And then, Do you speak French? Oui, je parle français. Je suis un Québécois. So, Show off. <laughs> my mother's, a simple yes would have been so Yeah, much. well, you know, my, um, you know, my mother's Belgian. My father's South African, so I don't know what that makes me. So. Okay. But moving back, one of the things that happens a lot with uh, startups or uh, fast-growing companies is uh, when you become an expat, meaning you, you, you live abroad and you come back, two-thirds to 75% of those leave the company. And the uh, majority of the reason is, is they've been entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial. And when they come back, right, right. they're in a huge company. And so I had a choice, and I kind of knew of that, uh, to either move back to Atlanta, Ontario, uh, Atlanta Georgia, or to uh, the West Coast and mm. uh, near my wife's family. So I moved to the West Coast and started a consulting practice. So when you uh, immigrated from Canada, you went to Georgia? Is that what No, we actually, I lived in uh, San Francisco at that time. Oh, okay. So I moved to San Francisco. And then uh, from San, you know, I mean, I've been really lucky. Uh, you know, from Montreal yeah. to Vancouver to San Francisco to Paris to now Newport Beach. So uh, 
There are worse places to live than those Absolutely. five, aren't can't, they? Can't complain that yeah. at all. So you never had a chance to live in Atlanta? No, but I spent a lot of time in Atlanta. <laughs> so, uh, and it's it's a great town. I mean, uh, it's it's different. Everybody has their own you know their own likes and dislikes. I like the beach. So, so you're here now in Southern California. I'm going back in your history. Mm-hmm. You you and your wife decided Newport Beach, mm-hmm. Southern California, Orange yeah. County. Yep. Take me up to today. So when I started my own uh, consulting practice, one of the things that I had learned uh, and understood really well when I was in Europe was um, sales methodology, sales best practices. And so I uh, reached out to my network, and one of uh, somebody had introduced me to PricewaterhouseCoopers in London. And for 10 years, um, I became a consultant to them, meaning I helped their partners to become more effective at sales. If you can imagine, uh, these individuals are very smart, very bright, and uh, but you know they're not they're not salespeople, and so I helped put in a framework, a methodology, with the help of some other individuals, and worked with them in London. I worked with them in uh, Amsterdam and Dubai and uh, Saudi Arabia and Mexico and United States. I had a great time working with them, and then along the way, also worked with startups and mid-sized companies. So is that what got you interested in helping companies develop and a more robust sales organization? Or yeah, I would say. Um, two aspects. One was helping them, uh, companies put in the processes, methodology, sometimes sales organization to help grow them exponentially. I mean, if a company is looking to grow 2 to 3%, that's not my niche. If somebody's looking to grow their business revenues 15, 20, 30, 40%, uh, if they're looking to help uh, from a sales organizational standpoint, sales strategy, methodology, uh, that's where my strength is. Are you claiming that you can help firms grow double digits like that? I uh, can't promise that, okay. but I can work with them to uh, to ascertain what's the best way to move forward. Is it your experience that most companies have that potential if they're properly organized and structured, or is that are you looking also for companies that actually can have that kind of natural growth? It's a double-edged sword because, uh, again, it's, you know, some some companies are looking to grow but can't, and you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right? Is it a situation with their product? Maybe they don't have a, the right product strategy or the right product. Maybe it's their sales organization that is not going after a different market. So it's a mixture of both, and it just depends. What I enjoy doing is meeting them and identifying, and ascertaining if and I if and how I can help them. And then at that point, we can we can see if there's an opportunity to grow the organization. Do you focus on any specific industry or niche? Or my background, of course, is is sales. Is, sorry, is software industry. I've had a, a, a lot of success in that. But I've worked with a lot of other companies. I've worked with construction companies. I've worked with um, advertising firms. I've worked with some administrative oriented organizations. Okay. So I've worked uh, because because of uh, my my background in working internationally and also working with a lot of other types of organizations. Uh, I've been able to adapt, and I think that's one of the strengths I have, is adapt uh, my approach depending on not just the, or- the the industry, but also the culture of the industry. And that's mm-hmm. something that's really important. What kind of owners do they have? What type of management staff do they have? And things of that nature. Right. Okay. Well, you're listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show. We're, we have a featured guest today, and we're going to be talking about his firm resultant after we get back from the commercial break. I'm I'd like to know why clients select your company, Eric, kind of what makes you different. You've begun to peel the onion back a little bit sure. and how you position yourself as mm-hmm. an expert. So we're going to dig more into that, ladies and gentlemen, when we get back from these commercial breaks on Critical Mass Radio Show. Can we talk about your family business? 
You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and unified communications technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me, and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months, or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's my cell, 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Eric Gildenheis is our featured guest. He's CEO of Resultant. And I would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 16,000 episodes during the last 30 days. And we here at the radio show appreciate your continued and your growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, as well as hundreds of business websites of previous guests who have loaded the player on their website so that their community can find Critical Mass Radio Show. All right, before the break, Eric, I was going to ask you to tell me why clients engage you and your firm. What is it that makes your firm different? Why do they choose you over other companies that say they offer a similar service? Good question. Most of my businesses come through referrals, so there must be something I'm doing right. I, I think the the big difference is that my background, as I you know mentioned or not, um, mother's Belgian, father South African. 
grew up in Canada, but you know, traveled and and, and worked internationally. With that, I've I've learned to deal with different individuals. Mm. Uh, in essence, when you're talking to a CEO of a c- certain business, we talked about the culture. Listening and communicating to them is very different than communicating to a salesperson. So I've learned over the years. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a in a French neighborhood, but went to an English school, and so understanding how to communicate and how to listen and how to interact with people of different nature. And so I think that's been a, a huge uh, differentiation from my standpoint. Uh, the second thing I think is I happen to enjoy what I do. I really enjoy facilitating, working with individuals, and producing clear, tangible results. Hmm. And I think uh, the uh, the last item would be um, uh, my cross-industry experience, meaning I'm not just a specialist in one area in the sense that I think sales, uh, the methodology, framework, putting in processes is my background. But you know, I, I help CEOs in, in strategizing and how to manage maybe their team. So. Uh, that's, that, I think, would be the, the biggest differentiation right there. Can you help me to understand earlier we said, uh, you know, I asked you kind of industries or segments that you mm-hmm. worked on. What size companies? You know, we're talking to the audience here are CEOs of middle market, lower sure. middle market firms, $100 right. million dollars down to $2 million. Right. So those kind of companies, example, I, I've worked with startups and, and getting them from zero to a certain level. And then basically when they're up and running, they don't need me. Right. Um, I'm working with a company right now. Or do now. they? <laughs> Uh, it depends, you know. Okay. Um, they probably would, do, but maybe you. They, you've they sometimes your call. Engagement. What, what's interesting is uh, it, it, there is the key thing is is it, it, here's a good example. There's a company in Arkansas that I work with, and the CEO, you know, early on we both came to a, real, uh, con, uh, a realization and agreement was I can't, I, I, I don't want to be irres- I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. Irreplaceable. I need to make sure that I put in the infrastructure so they can run on their own. Right. And so basically I work on, so as the company name, result, I work on project by project results. And then I want to make sure that I'm passing enough knowledge to those people so they can do it on their own. Do some companies call me back at a later date? Absolutely. I would think. Okay, because yeah. they're going, hey, we're at a next stage. Right. Or I need some input or some suggestions. One of the things that um, part of my work is not just training. A lot of it is coaching. One of the things is we're not in a love them and leave them type of uh, business. And it's more about, hey, you, you teach the framework, but like in any, I'm, I'm going to use sports as an example. You know, somebody teaches you a technique, great, but are they going to make sure you're using that technique on an ongoing basis? So right. a good example with sales, you know, role playing. Hey, before you go out on your first sales call, before you've hired people, are you, you know, should we do some role playing? Should we practice on a big major deal? As I mentioned uh, off air was, you know, one of my clients has been doing about a million and a half a year on average and suddenly has this opportunity that relates to that resulted in a nine million dollar deal. Hey, let's sit down and work with Eric for a bit to figure out what should we be doing differently? How should we go about this? Right. And so, you know, I've done that with PwC and in in, in in Netherlands, also coaching them on a deal that took nine months to close and coaching them along the way. But that resulted in. Now, over $20 million of new revenue. Yeah, well, I was, I was curious because our targeted demographic are lower middle market companies, two to $100 million. I'm sure. wondering if those are the kind of companies that you have experience oh, helping. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, from that standpoint, I've worked with uh, local companies here that are in the, I would say, uh, 10, to, 10 to $15 million. Right. The key thing that, that I think is, is important, I would say, from my background is one to two levels of management. Because as an example, in the software world, that's maybe 50 to you know, fifty million dollars. But if you're if you're providing a lot of uh, services and goods that have got a high cost of goods, then that maybe be a hundred million dollar business. You mm-hmm. know, when you say mid market. So right. yeah, I've worked with a lot of different companies of that nature. One of them was a local uh, company that was at twenty million dollars here. Actually, they were at fourteen million dollars for about 
uh, about 15 years, and then we, you know, we basically uh, changed the operations to be far more efficient in the way they were doing business because they didn't know what they didn't know. Okay. So we put in uh, processes, project management tools, a CRM system, and then we turned on the sales and marketing tab. And then within six months, we uh, we increased their booking, so they were going to be hitting an $18 million revenue rate. Then the following year, they booked $21 million, and, wow. and then the following year, they did $28 million. Well, So when you say you helped them to improve their process, are you talking the sales organization, that, that, that front end of the business, or were you helping them throughout the company to be able to deliver that increased volume of Oddly enough, in that example, it was it was both. Okay. They first brought me in from a sales and marketing standpoint. So we did an assessment. We said, okay, what's your niche? What's your strength? Why are people continuing to buy from you? What's holding you back from growing? Because one of the problems you have is that if you start turning on the sales and marketing tab, great. Do you have the operations to support it? That's it? what I'm thinking. Yeah. And, if and you bump along it, not bump along, but if you have a $14, $15 million company, that's a steady state business. And yeah. all of a sudden, you start to see some... Increase. They're not capacitized many so, times for that. So, so as an example with that client, I did an assessment. We actually had a lot of fun because we went and talked to their – they had different business partners and they had resellers and they had clients. So we talked to all of them, figured out what was their niche and what was their strength, came back to the board and, and presented it because they were a division of a larger company. And then I, you know, basically I said, look, I don't recommend implementing this. I don't recommend launching it until these problems are handled. Oh, okay. And so they said, great. So a year later, I get a call. It says, hey, Eric. I go, oh, great. You're ready to turn on the sales and marketing. Yeah, not really. I go, okay. what's going on? Still having challenges with that. Could you help us with that? So then I brought in some expertise to help them from a project management standpoint, and then I helped, and I brought in some expertise to do the CRM, mm-hmm. and then help them run their operations for a while, and then you know, help them grow their business. So this is interesting to me that you've been able to help companies that have who have achieved a certain level of revenue and can't either can't or don't want to get through it. But obviously, if they're hiring you, there's something they want to do differently, right? Right. It's, it's, it's you know, the biggest challenge, I think, with mid-market is a lot of them are owner-operators. Yes. And owner-operators don't know what they don't know. So, right. so first thing they've got to do is admit, okay, I don't know what I don't know. Who am I going to trust? Right. And who am I going to call? And then what kind of dance am I going to have with that person? Because if you think about it, it's like almost, it's not like getting married, but who am I going to dance with to trust my business and take a look at their suggestions? And and that's a challenge for some business owners or even below that, the people they report to. And especially if you've had a business that's been running for a long time, the challenge you've got is you've got people that have been maybe working 5, 10, 15 years and you're suddenly know. realizing they know, you know, what have they done differently? What have they learned differently? And so it, it's interesting how I get in because sometimes I get in, you know, by the owner recognizes it or sometimes it's a client that introduces me to that. And this is oh, it. really? Sometimes it's, uh, the, you know, I mean, as we were talking prior, uh, one of my clients did such a great job selling to one of their clients okay. that their client said, who did this for you? And they said, well, go talk to Eric. And it was oddly enough, you can imagine this, the IT, the head of IT talks to me and goes, you, you did a great job with that organization, sales organization. Well, they were so service. impressed with how they serviced and sold them. Exactly right. But here's the thing that was really interesting. That, that VP of IT went to his sales director and says, you've got to talk to Eric. Now, you know, that's not, you know, that's a, not a, right. you can understand, common you know, yeah, right? it's yeah. not a common occurrence. And more importantly, it's, you know, the sales manager or sales director goes, hmm, maybe I should talk to Eric yeah. and be humble enough to listen to me. Right. And then work with them on an assessment. Oh, yeah, the assessment is true. Oh, then we go to next phase, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that's a unique circumstance. Um, but that's how I've been able to move along 
in my practice. In your earlier case study, you were mentioning that you did a customer listening program and you came back to the company and you told them, well, here's here's your market appeal, here's your brand, et cetera. Sure. Uh, is that, do you find that to be common in lower middle market companies or companies that you help no. where, where they need you out in the front end of the business to sort of diagnose uh, what's really going on for them in the marketplace? Is that a value-added service that you provide? It's It's... One of the things that I do is when I walk into uh, a client is to identify what are their issues, and then from there figure out what's Beyond the what be- they told you their issues yeah, are? Yeah, exactly right, because the fact is what they think is the issue may not be the issue. Really? And so as an example, with, uh, with uh, this was a, a construction-oriented company that we're, you know, the mm-hmm. example there. Right. So one of the things that the board said, hey, look, we want to grow the business. Well, my first question is, is who's your client? <laughs> okay, and then, you know, and then from there, they go, oh, it's all these people. Says, well, wow, you, you, you cater to the education, you cater to restaurants, you cater to uh, hospitals. So what's the niche? What's making you so good? Should we focus on one? What's most profitable? I mean, there's this, sometimes this 80-20 rule. Right. Where 80% of your business is coming from 20% of your client, but 80% of the time you're spending on only 20% of your business. Right. And so it's, it's sometimes doing an assessment of that nature. So yeah, I do spend time doing that and I have a lot of fun with that. Here's the biggest thing. Having somebody from the outside gives a fresh pair of eyes. And thinking outside the box because a lot of companies, especially those that have been established for many years, keep thinking this is their business. This is the truth. Right. And so if they get somebody to come in and just do an assessment, sometimes it wakes their eyes. Right. Whether that's enough for them to realize, okay, I got to do something differently, great, because they may have a great marketing organization that can just tweak that information and go after it. But then some organizations might go, great, we need to have a sales organization to go after that. Or, you know, we need to tweak our product differently to cater to that market space or a service. Mm-hmm. But again, first is maybe doing that assessment is, you know, is important. It just depends on each organization. Right. So before you can help them grow, you have to understand kind of the current environment yeah. right, for them. In assessments, talking to clients, looking at their own organization. Do you ever ask them why? They call you and say, Eric, we want to grow. Do you ever, like, why do you want to grow? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and sometimes it depends what kind of company, if it's owner-operated, do they have an exit strategy? Right. Are they looking to leave the company? You know, we briefly talk, is it a lifestyle company? I mean, I, I run my own practice. It's me, myself, and I. So it's a lifestyle company for okay. me. So there's you three know. of you in the firm. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. right. For some organizations, are they a lifestyle organization? And sometimes they they. They don't think they are, but they truly are. Right. And so having those hard conversations, and sometimes it's not telling them, it's sometimes asking the kind of questions so they come to that realization. That's part of being a facilitator. I, I see many middle market companies who think the solution to many of their problems is to grow their business. Right. Mm-hmm. If I was just larger, I'd have more hair. I don't know. Whatever they want, that's what they could get through growth. Sure. And, and sometimes, as a matter of fact, we're doing some research right now in Critical Mass for Business on our next book. and. To me, sometimes it's fool's gold. You have to be careful about growing because you may not grow strategically. So I'd like to talk to you about sure. how you've helped companies you know, to, to grow the business and improve the business because sometimes you can grow the business and actually, my, my experience is you disadvantage the business. You make it less profitable yeah. or it diluted. It's I mean, not what it was to your core customers anymore. Absolutely right. And, and uh, I've got a couple of examples where, I mean, to give an example, a construction-oriented company. Yes. I mean, they went from, they had a staff of about, I think it was 12 people doing implementation of the equipment, you know, from a construction standpoint. And they were able to only manage at any time 14 to 15 projects at any given moment, maybe 18. And it was a crisis every Monday. What are we doing? What are we doing? By, you know, that's, these were great people. I want to make sure we understand. These were great people doing what they knew how to do. Right. That, you know, and if you suddenly come in and says, hey, look, what about if we do something different? What if we put project management process? What about if we just, you know, maybe take one of your staff and bring in a professional project manager and change the roles and responsibilities? 
maybe you can do the same amount of work but handle much more projects. Well, they ended up doing 26 wow. projects instead of 14 to 15 with the same with an additional two people. Because of the recommendations you made? Well, yeah, because of the recommendations I made. But also, so, so that comes t- down to, hey, is it sales more important or is it just taking a look at increasing your operational efficiencies right. and then maybe growing? Right. Excellent. Well, I like your holistic approach, Eric. Sure. All right, we're going to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And as I said at the top of the show, Eric is our featured guest, which means we get the privilege of having him back after this commercial break. And we're going to continue this conversation about top-line revenue growth and the role that he plays in helping his clients. Stay tuned after these words from our sponsors. what it would feel like to lose everything your job your home your family your dignity this has happened to thousands of the men women veterans and young adults we serve at working wardrobes what do we do to help we provide career development services life skills workshops job skills training we provide the perfect interview outfit and we get clients placed in jobs call working wardrobes 714-210-2460 donate volunteer invest hire If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. Welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Eric Gildenheis is our guest, and he's our featured guest. He's into the third segment here of the radio show. He's CEO of Resultant, and we're talking about sales and growth and helping top-line companies grow their revenue. But before we get back to that conversation, I'd like to let you know that the audience demographic of those people that listen to the radio show are 98% business owners, 
and executives. And they listen because they know they can learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show is your answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. But also with our exclusive prospect engagement program, we deliver our advertisers up to 23 warm prospects each year. If you'd like to learn more about this exclusive program, then contact Rose Chamora at 951-515-4661. Again, Rose's number is 951-515-4661. If you'd like to learn more about the Critical Mass radio show series and the other things that we do at Critical Mass for Business, which is my firm, visit our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. All right, Eric. I understand you also do coaching and, and other work like that. So you can come in and you can do assessments. You can help them put a plan together. You can even walk their process and see if their company needs some tweaks in other areas to deliver this on this growth and revenue. But what do you do in the coaching area? How, how does that differ from the work that we've been talking to about up to this point, Eric? The, uh, if, if it's applicable, because sometimes I may not be the right type of coach. I found that where I've been very effective in coaching has been in two areas. One is sales coaching. Sales coaching is around not just the, helping the salespeople become more effective. I mean, working with PwC, these guys are making lots of money, but these guys were not salespeople. And so help, they realize along the way, hey, Eric can help, you know, help me think consciously of what I need to do before I walk into the meeting so that I have an effective interaction with my prospect that could result in potential new business. Uh-huh. So that's from a sales standpoint. Sales management, teaching sales, you know, a lot of people who've become sales managers have become sales managers because they've been great at sales. Mm-hmm. And the, the good analogy is you can be, uh, I'm a soccer coach. You can be a great soccer player, but a lousy coach. You can be a so-so soccer player, but be a fantastic coach. And if you take a look at some of the most successful sales managers, they've been typically sales engineers or engineers, not salespeople. Mm. Because they are looking at sales from a uh, process, a framework to ascertain where's the pipeline, how's the pipeline. So helping uh, coaching uh, sales managers in that role, but also sometimes sales managers are what I call unconsciously competent, which means they know how to sell, but they can't explain what they're doing and how they're doing it. Right. They can't tell other people how to do what they're doing. Just watch me and see what I do. Exactly right. right. The, the the, The best example I have that is if I sit in on a sales call uh, or a sales meeting and at the end of it I go, you know, John, that was a great meeting. I noticed the conversation you know, was going okay, and then suddenly you asked this question, and you got a response from them. Then you asked this question, then you got a great. How did you come up with those? What do you think? Ninety percent of them say, "I don't know." There you go. And so, what I try to do from a coaching is is to start teaching them to think about wh- okay. how to support their sales team. Right. Or sometimes they bring me in as the sales coach, and they just do the sales management. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the CEO level, typically, I found where I'm very effective is in that mid tier where a company, uh, the owner has been really successful at, say, at you know, 5 to 10 or 10 to 15, $20 million, and they're going like, okay, I've never done this. I've never managed people. Or maybe they've managed only one level, and they haven't right. managed two levels. Right, very and different. They, and, and, and they don't know how to do that. Or um, they've suddenly, I mean, I've come into circumstances where um, you know, people, uh, the owners died, and the sons have taken over. Mm. Sons have never managed anybody. So I get brought in on that circumstance. I find uh, having a back in, background in sales and uh, marketing, but more in sales and marketing, and now working with middle market CEOs who mm-hmm. haven't had a sales background, many of them can't, don't appreciate the fact that selling is a process mm-hmm. and it's a metric-driven position in yep. the company. And your job as the CEO 
or the sales manager, and from my experience, is to understand the metrics and communicate good behavior because salespeople need to be told what's good behavior, right? Because sure. it can be different than what their experience yeah. is. So, but, but it's also those understanding the metrics of the business. So when you come in as a consultant, do you, do you take time to kind of try to understand, okay, three of these lead to two of those, lead to one of these? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I do is I actually do um, a sales assessment of the sales team because as you can understand. Oh, that can be dangerous. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, a sales assessment is basically, as we were talking about, are they conscious of, their, of the sales process? So imagine you have anywhere from a 50 to 100-question list where you're, it's online where you, you go through it, and, you, and then basically you come out of it, and you can really quickly uh, determine who's consciously aware of what they're doing during the initial part of the sales process. So imagine the initial part is you're in New York City. You close a deal, you're in Los Angeles. Okay, the whole thing can be done in one phone call, right? So that's mm-hmm. a jet. But you're going to be taking the Greyhound bus because the deal takes six months, and you're going through, you know, you're going through Atlanta to Chicago, down to uh, St. Louis, up to Denver, and up to Seattle, and finally to Los Angeles, or I should say Newport Beach. And and so finding out where they are in their conscious, you know, from a conscious standpoint, where you know how well aware are they of the sales process, I can work then with management and the executives to put in the, you know, to either train up where they, you know, lack. So a good example. Most of the common areas that they lack is um, getting access to others, meaning in the sales process, especially in a a B2B world where you're dealing with complex sales process, Mm. you know, getting access to the decision maker without asking, are you the decision maker? How are you identifying who's a decision maker? And then, and then. What a terrible question to ask. What person is going to say no? Right. Are you the decision maker? Are you the final decision maker? Of course I am. Exactly. Yeah. So so cuz typically sales to me is not about closing deals. Sales to me is creating an agreement. So by creating agreement you've got to identify what's the issue. And then quantify or qualify and quantify that issue not only with maybe your influencers but with the decision maker. And then going back to your CEO, how does a CEO know when the, when somebody says the deal's in the bag? What does that mean? Does right. that mean he's still talking to the influencer or is he talking to the decision maker? Right. So when you're talking about metrics, it's also making sure everybody's clear and about where they are in the sales process. Are you really in Denver? Are you at the Rockies? Yeah. Or are you still Yeah, look in out the, the window. What, what do you see? Look out the window. What do you see? Exactly right. So I saw some great results with you know putting in a formal sales methodology and a process and a framework is everybody gets to talk talk to talk and walk the walk and what i mean by that is when the sales manager says what stage are you with this opportunity they can say oh i'm at the qualification stage okay that means you've already identified the business issues you've already quantified them so you should know the answer to these questions exactly right so if you imagine if you roll that up to then from a sales manager to the head of sales to the ceo you know, with a CRM system, they can roll up, and then we've got a very good uh, predictive or uh, estimating or predictive analysis of right. what we're going to close in the next 30, 60, 90 days. That's the promise and of it, CRM, right? right? I mean, it, it, exactly right. And the one thing that I think is really key, I mean, how many, um, here's a good example. How many sales managers do you know get paid based on forecasting accuracy? Not enough. Right. I don't know any. Right. And that's one of the, one of the things that, you know, you want to put in place along the way because then that enforces the culture of, okay, right. where are you at in the sales process? How do right. I help you move to the next stage? Right. Because if I can forecast accurately within plus or minus 10% on a quarterly basis, if 50% of my my compensation, variable compensation, is dependent on that, I want to make sure my team is going to be successful. Right. That changes the whole dynamics. Right, because that's the front end of the business, as you talked about before. Having a predictable revenue bookings 
uh, stream is really critical to the rest, especially if you're a manufacturer. If you have complex parts, you have to scale material. It, I think many sales organizations don't understand how important they are to a well-run company, right. how their input, how important their input is to how well the company can be run. So it comes down to how many CEOs would, would if they had you know three to six months' worth of um, pipeline review where they were plus or minus 10% of My hitting God. their market. Would they feel more comfortable in investing in capital expenditures to grow their business? Of course. Because especially in the mid-tier market where they've done everything themselves, are they going to put money you know, down and trust their sales organization? And, and you know, it's a, it's a hard question to ask. It is a hard question to ask. But mm-hmm. I, I really like, I'm talking with Eric Gildenheis. He is CEO of Resultant. I like the fact that you take a holistic approach to sales improvement of a company because um, having been in the sales chair many times, I felt that, you know what, I'm a symptom of the performance of the company. I, by myself, may not be able to change the nature of the business. I need everybody helping me to be successful because I'm only one player in this act. I need everybody else. But it was very easy, I felt sometimes, for the other executives to push away from the table when we talked about top-line revenue growth. Wow, that's Rick's problem over there, right? You know, no, I need products. I need service. I need everything. We're all in this together. Absolutely. And so to be able to come in as a third party, I'm sure you make friends of the sales manager not because you're protecting them but you're speaking the language of truth sure absolutely and given that you know i've, I've run my own company i can understand all the different other aspects of the business and help right. those people and oddly enough in some of my companies i deal more with everybody else than the salesperson to make sure that it works well wow. that's excellent let's um one more question before the next commercial time out here and we only have one more left on critical mass radio show of all the things you've learned in both running your own business and helping other companies around the world grow their revenue have you developed kind of a guiding principle eric an overarching philosophy on how you're choosing to lead and grow your firm uh well, so since this company is me, myself, and I, the, um, the one thing that I can tell you what guides me is to, be, is to use my intellect, my creativity, in helping a company's problems or challenges with presence. And what I mean by presence is being involved with them, working with them, facilitating, coaching, training, assessing, meeting. I'm not the kind of person that can work uh, in a cubicle. And so I found that that's my principle. If I can... If I can if those needs are met and my knowledge, my background can help that organization, great. Mm-hmm. If not, that's okay too. Right. I'll find somebody else if necessary. But that's my guiding principle is to help pe- help organizations using my intellect and creativity. So that's excellent because you know I have had an um, I have I have had other consultants who help companies with their top line revenue challenges. Mm-hmm. And w- what I'm fascinated by is the different approaches that everyone takes. You know, some some of the people I've had on the show are really more process oriented. I'll put the process in. Mm-hmm. Others have a different kind of mindset. But what I think I know to be true is not every one person has the right answers for every client. So I, I would advocate if, if you're a CEO of a middle market company and you're looking to grow your firm, you should talk to several different um, sales experts and find the person that you can really buy into. Because, as you said, some of the changes that you recommend are not going to be popular, and they may question some long-held conventions in the firm. So you really have to be committed to this. It's not a superficial exercise to Absolute. grow your revenue, right? No, no. You just sprinkle pixie dust on it, and all of a sudden yeah, now you got 15% top-line revenue growth. Right. And I'm, I, you know, I mean, and it's also making sure that personalities fit. Right. I mean, uh, I have a certain personality. I adapt and change uh, to the different things, but some people may not like my personality, and right. that's fine. So right. there's a lot of variables. Right, because you got to get into this. It's not a simple thing to change. It, it, no. You can get results quickly, but you, it takes a, a team effort. I, I mean, uh, so 
PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers in the UK, that was a five-year process to wow. go from a small practice unit to over 900 partners being trained and using that methodology across the whole enterprise. Wow. I mean, I'm working with a company in Arkansas that's been, you know, it's, it's almost been a year and a half. It was supposed to be like a three-month engagement, <laughs> and it's a year and a half because they realized, wow, I don't know what I don't know. Let's right. keep working And that's on nothing this. you did to prolong the engagement. No, Let's be clear no, here. That's, absolutely. That they yeah. keep seeing value and they absolutely. keep extending and the, you. The one, thing that, the one thing that I think is really important for me as you're talking about a guiding principle, you know, and the reason I picked the name resultant is I, I work on results. So it's not, okay, we're going to sign a year contract. It's tangible, measurable results. What are we looking to do? An assessment is one stage. And then if they want me to continue on, what's the next stage? Are we looking to coach the salespeople? Okay, based on what's the outcome we want to, what's the outcome we're going to be after we've coached the salespeople? Are we going to see an increase in revenue? Okay, what's the target? I want to make, you know, we want to make sure that there's some tangible, measurable right. results based on my, on, on my services. So therefore, it should be with everybody. So that's, that. I, I work my practice like I'd be working my, a company with hundreds of employees. Perfect. And so that's something that's really important. All right, we're going to take our last commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about challenges. We're going to get a little bit deeper into his company. I'm interested to know if he had a painful business lesson that he learned a valuable lesson from earlier in his career. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with Eric Gildenheis of C- CEO of Resultant after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top 10 universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. Our featured guest today is Eric Gildenheis. He is CEO of Resultant. Again, I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our radio show. You've downloaded over 16,000 episodes over the last 30 days, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. As I said earlier, all of our shows can be heard on octalkradio.net 
or rebroadcast from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, and various other business-oriented podcasting services and past radio show guest websites. All right, let's delve into your past. Eric, talk to us and our audience about a time you learned a valuable business lesson, but it came from a difficult or maybe even painful experience. Uh, this was not easy, but... I would say the outcome is is to know what you're know what you're good at and know what you enjoy doing. And uh, so I had sold my company based out of Canada to uh, Optio Software out of Atlanta, Georgia. And the president and CEO had asked me, Eric, um, why don't you uh, become a major account salesperson and go after you know uh, large accounts? Most of my work from a sales standpoint was uh, distribution and channel sales, which is a very different approach. Very different. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to try that. And so I tried it, and I failed miserably at it. And you, a professional, <laughs> internationally renowned sales trainer, master, improvement, you failed? Yep. And, and the, the, the best, the, best mm. the only backup or comeback I can come back <laughs> with is I look at it as this way. You can be a great soccer player, but a lousy coach. You can okay. be a mediocre soccer player, but be an awesome coach. And if you take a look at even in the soccer world, some of the world-famous coaches were not even known as, as soccer players. Right. And so uh, that, I think, is – so one of the things that I learned from that was the sales process and methodology, so I understood it. And, and, and to be blunt, I, you know, I mean, there are certain salespeople that are great at closing. I mean, you know, we talked about – we talked about know what you want to do, but mostly make sure you know what you enjoy doing. Right. And, and there are certain people that really enjoy – Going for the hunt, going for that medal, going for that golden star. Those are your closers. They love the challenge. Those could be great salespeople, especially for when you're looking for closing big deals or you know, I'm going to say complex deals. Compared to channel sales, that's more relationship sales. Those are mostly the farmers. Right. Influencers. Uh, influencers, exactly right. Uh, and so they're driven by a different need, by social interaction. So these are character types. So for me, um, I enjoy being around people, and I enjoy educating. I enjoy facilitating. I enjoy coaching. So that's what I learned from that event was mm -hmm. that, you know what? Going for that gold medal and hunting for the business was not part of my character. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. We've got about yeah. three minutes left here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Eric Gildenheis is our featured guest for today's program. You know, that that's a perfect open for the last thing I want to talk to you about today, which is some companies in the search for top-line revenue growth, I think, actually hurt their business the CEO does because he or she doesn't realize that all business isn't equal and that they they start to take deals that really aren't their area of expertise. Sure. Because the number one thing is 10% growth for year over year. Right. And, and you end up finding over time you've grown this business into something that I find when I look at them is a less valuable product because you've diluted your brand in the marketplace. So, so in your work that you do, do you help the business owner, the CEO to understand if you want to grow – these are the kind of clients we should be going after because they tend to value you the most or you might be able to get a better price premium. Or Do you, do you help them all to define where they should be growing rather than just grow? Yes. Okay. And the I only way... Were, I was hoping you were going to say yeah, yes. Well, But the only way that's going to work is if the organization is willing to do an assessment of their business. And so an assessment meaning taking a look at their... You know, it's not just... Um, I mean, a, a good example with the, the client in Arkansas, when I asked him, well, who are your top clients? Don't know. What's the revenues being? Don't know. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> and so it was like sitting, okay, let's That's go to scary, the- scary. Yeah, right? well, yeah, exactly right. But was it, was it scary when you, when you, when, 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 you know, from our standpoint talking here, right. from their standpoint, 
they were used to running their business the way, and it was running and fine. And it worked, right. And they got paid, right. and they got some dividends at the end of the year, and everybody's okay. So, 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 but it, it's having that hard conversation. Are they willing to do that assessment? Are they willing to do the research? Are they willing to go into their accounting system, break down the cost, figure out what the products, what's the com- what are the you know top products, tier one, tier two? But then also take a look at, hey, how much is it really costing us? I mean, that construction company. At the beginning you know, of the project, when we were taking a look at an assessment of profitability accounts, they were saying, oh, this chain here, this local chain in Orange County, huge 40% margins. Man, we should go after more of those. I go, are you sure it's 40%? Let's take a look at this. Okay, so over a period of six months, we started tracking the cost of that. And in the end, it was like negative 3%. Oh, my gosh. And, and so, but, but they're such a high-profile account. And so we sat down. We said, look, here's the data. And then the, the management team was mature enough humble enough to say, okay, we got to go talk to those guys and say, sorry, we can't do business with you unless we mark it up. Yeah, we can. Well, they got pissed off and they left. But six months later, they came back and they agreed to the higher price because wow. the service was so great. Right. So again, they didn't have all the data to make those decisions. So one of the things is I'm very data-driven. And so, you know, it's important, but it's key that the CEO or the management is willing to look at that. Right. And, and, and be open to looking at that and doing that research before they go full hard, full hard, hardy towards one direction. Yeah, and I think that's the other piece of it. Um, Sales is process and metric driven. Mm -hmm. And you can data mine your client portfolio to beat the band. I mean, that's an area that I think... Is, is, is an important place to, to start as well, is to look at, well, who's doing business with us? And if you can get it down to profitability by customer, by product line, well, how powerful is that? Because then you go to your sales force and say, don't sell the green one, sell the red one. Exactly right. right. We or don't even the... focus on those accounts. Focus on these accounts. Right. These are no good anymore. Right. Right. Exactly right. All right. So let's say somebody out there goes, well, this Eric guy knows what he's talking about. He's humble, he's, but he's talented. If they wanted to find resultant online, how would they find you? Best place is LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, LinkedIn is the best place because, one, um, it quickly defines, uh, they can look at the word resultant or Eric Gildenheis. Why don't you spell these words? Okay, so resultant is R-E-Z or Z-U-L-T-A-N-T. Got it. And then Eric, E-R-I-C, last name is Gildenheis, G-I-L-D-E-N-H-U-Y-S. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen, just like it sounds. Hey, I hope they do look you up on LinkedIn, and I hope that you are able to help some of the listeners in our audience either today, live, or maybe in the future through a podcast. This has been a kick in the pants. I have enjoyed having you back on the radio program. Thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of our community. Thank you very much. All right, Eric. Thanks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed my interview today with Eric, and I'd like to thank our sponsors, because without them, we wouldn't be here. Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, S&H Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. Our engineer for today is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard. Marketing strategist and live event manager is Asia Celestino. Amanda Pointer is our associate producer. Our social media manager is Melissa Patani. Our VP of sales is Rose Chamora. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for business, maybe you want to refer a future guest or advertise on the radio shows, visit Critical Mass. For Until the next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 